Hello, welcome everyone. My name is Darcy Thompson-Fields. And my name is Nathan Anibaba, and this is the CEO of our digital show. This is an open-ended exploration of markets, technology, trends, ideas, and strategies that will help you better deliver results for your company and your stakeholders. You can learn more and stay up to date at ceo.digital. Darcy, what did you think of the interview with John? I thought it was great. I really learned a lot from him. Um, I particularly like the fact as well we went into personal IT security as well as business IT security and you actually come away with actionable insights on how to protect yourself. Very scary, right? Definitely. What about for you? I like learning about how smart cyber criminals were and what steps companies are putting in place now to protect themselves to make sure they don't become the next victims of cyber criminality. Yeah, so important. Um, let's get into the interview. Let's do it. Our guest this week is John Cosson, the Chief Information Security Officer and Head of IT at JM Finn. So John has more than 35 years experience in the IT industry and has held numerous IT positions since starting his career in mainframe computer systems back in the 1980s. He's directed the IT department for JM Finn, a leading wealth management organization for more than 20 years. John Cosson, welcome to the CEO.Digital show. Thank you very much. It's really good to be here. Um, I love the intro when you say the 35 years, it makes me sound ancient. Yeah. <laughs> and I've called every one of them after COVID this year, I can Right, right. Well, we're going, to, uh, we're going to go back into those 36 years, 35 years in a lot of detail over the next 50 minutes or so, because your background is absolutely fascinating. You've been interested in cybersecurity for a very long time. You've been in the industry for 35 years, as we've just said, and your current role as head of IT and CISO You've been doing that for 21 years for JM Finn. What is it about cybersecurity that has kept your interest for so long? I think cybersecurity, or when I started out in IT in, in the early 80s, was actually then called IT security or just security. I think it stemmed from, from beyond the 80s, actually into the 70s, when, um, and this is showing my age now, when there was a group of individuals called freakers. Uh, that frequented the um, telecommunications infrastructure at, uh, at various different uh, organizations and countries. Um, and they basically used the telephony systems, which were pretty much early computers, to manipulate the coding um, and to achieve free phone calls and that sort of stuff. Uh, I was at, uh, at college and, and, and polytechnic in, in the 80s, and it fascinated me to see how uh, computers and uh, and in those days they were mostly uh, large computers and mainframes, and how they could be manipulated and and how they function in the real world, and it was a, a very interesting uh, period the eighties because it was before the evolution of PCs and where uh, the majority uh, of the population had never heard of the internet, even though it had been around for well since the late sixties early seventies. Um, but uh, certainly from, from my perspective, it started off on, on, on very small PCs, the old Commodore 64s and Dragon 32s. Um, uh, those of a, of a certain age will, will know those devices. And it really grew from there. Uh, and, and certainly when I left um, uh, education in the 80s, I, I was fascinated by technology and how it could be applied. The hacking first come a term in, in, in those days. And, and there's, there's a film, War Games, that, that came out in 1984. Mm. 
three four uh, with uh, Matthew Broderick, and that was uh, that's still a, a cult film today and a cult movie today. And most of the people I know, I force them to watch it who work for me and say, "You need to to see this." Uh, again, it was Hollywood, but it really stemmed from there and understanding how computers could be manipulated. Um, and in those days, hackers were um, were mostly uh, deemed as uh, individuals that were young kids that were trying to uh, buck the system, and they were inquisitive more than malicious. Mm. How things have changed thirty odd years later, uh, and mm. uh, with my um, hat on now as a CISO, it's my job to protect um, the, the financial sector and, and, and uh, my organisation from from um, 21st century hackers, which were totally different from the 1980s. But that's what got it, got me into into that that old sphere, and um, it's been an interest really ever since. And whilst I've always been working with technology, I've always had um, I've almost worn two hats. From a, from a CIO's perspective, chief information officer and a security side as well. And I think that's really been um, certainly beneficial in my current role where I wear both hats and it's allowed me to see both sides um, of, of delivering services but actually ensuring they're secure. Perfect. And you briefly touched on it there, but it, I'd be really interested to learn. So over the span of your 36 year career, how has the cyber threat and the cyber criminal evolved? I think uh, initially, and we'll go way back. Um, if you, you go back to the 1920s and 30s, and there was a famous bank robber, uh, and his name eludes me at the moment, um, who was at once asked why he robbed banks. And he said, well, that's where the money is. <laughs> and I think certainly in the 70s, 80s, um, a lot of the crime was was uh, people would go into a bank and, and they would hold it up uh, and they'd steal the money. And cash was very much a commodity there that people and, and the criminal elements wanted. That's changed um, certainly in the last 15 years, 20 years, where it, the money's all electronic now. And, and the internet has opened up and it's been a, a, a huge uh, opportunity for many organisations. But in the 80s, um, hacking wasn't really about malicious criminals. It was about um, trying to broaden your horizons. Knowing these big organisations are out there and they're using these very complex computer systems um, and really trying to, to circumvent the security and, and see how they were put together. This was There was no malicious intent at that stage but of course as um as technologies evolved and organizations are now using um technology the internet communications it's it's evident that um the criminal uh, fraternity would would align to this and now hackers in in the 21st century and today are now seen slightly different organized crime is certainly using this the type of uh, risk to organizations and and they're using it for their own purposes so the money's not in the banks anymore you know right. especially since covid I, I don't think i can remember the last time i actually used paper money. went into a bank yeah. but um now nowadays people are it's, it's evident that um everything's online so criminals are therefore using hacking techniques to, to leverage information and there's a whole host of ways to do that we're looking at threats that didn't exist 15 years ago in the, in the sense of, of the technology. But ultimately, it's fraud. It's blackmail. 
Um, these these are these have been around for thousands of years. They're just using technology now, and hacking has evolved in for something that was really um, uh, could be could be seen as some spotty teenager in a bedroom tapping away at a computer, to to now where it's very very organised crime and criminals using this, and it's advanced technology they're using, and it's it's a it's a cat and mouse at the moment for organisations and 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 leaders, technical leaders, as they try to deal with uh, the growing threat that's that's actually an expanding work surface. And I think if you look at what's happened recently uh, with the events of, of uh, COVID, you can see um, social engineering and these and these criminals using this and using events. And they've always used events to to to, to, to attempt to circumvent security and, and to circumvent the human firewall as well. So th- this is this is how I believe it's evolved from the early days in, in the 70s and the 80s and where we are today. Uh, and it's really because technology has evolved and, and where the money is. And I think um, criminals are now looking to technology um, and easy pickings because um, obviously we're all using it, including some very uh, fragile individuals. Let's talk about JM Finn. You're a leading wealth management company with over 10 billion assets under management. I understand that your clients have very sensitive data, very sensitive assets that may be attractive to cyber criminals. What are the main security threats that JM Finn face and how do you protect your clients' sensitive information? I think JM Finn, we're, we're, a, we're a financial institution. We're, we're a wealth manager. Um, I think we have obviously data and our data is one of our key assets. Um, but you, you can't just look at this as, as, as data. You've got to look at it as assets. is also human factor as well. So the old days, you'd have a, a computer system, you'd have a network, you put a perimeter around it, and, and and that was your protection, a firewall maybe, and and you were secure. That's all changed now. We have to look at where our data re- resides, where our intellectual property resides, and, and where the weaknesses are. And you can say that within an organization, you have uh, technical assets, you have data, but also you have human, um, the human element. So you would have um, our, our staff, um, our key VIPs that work for the organization and, and then our, our, our all important clients. And it's my job as a C, C, a CISO of, the, of our organization to ensure that all of those areas are protected. And I think the most challenging side of that is our clients and our staff, because a lot of cyber criminals um, will, will go for the easy route. You know, their they're cyber criminals uh, are, are in the press as these, these geniuses um, and these these computer experts, etc. But they will always, at the end of the day, try to go for the easiest option, the low-hanging fruit. Mm. So it's my job to ensure that we protect that low-hanging fruit and, and try to make um, uh, my organisation as secure as possible. I would like to say one thing, that no organisation is totally secure. It's impossible. It's, it's really um, a, a numbers game to a certain degree. You need to have enough layers to protect you, the, the business. And let me explain in a little bit more detail. Um, probably up until about 15, 20 years ago, most organizations would put a perimeter around their network and their business. So they would have a, um, a firewall and they would have limited exposure potentially to the internet. But that's gone. I mean, there is no perimeter. It's, it's not, you know, it, it's not really there anymore. It, it's, it's, it's almost been completely removed. So we... We have to still protect what is deemed as a perimeter, but we also have to think very, um, we have to think in a, in a very 
pragmatic way about how um, the individual could be um, compromised internally through no fault of their own. So we have to secure internally and externally. So how do we do this and what are the benefits? Well, if you're only protecting the perimeter, and this is a, this is a cliche, this is mentioned many times before, that you've got to be um, secure 100% of the time and the attacker has only got to be lucky once. They've just got to get once and they can get through your network and they're in. And that's true. But once they're in the network, if you have strong controls and security, they have got to remain hidden 100% of the time. Mm. And the equation changes. And actually, the scales change and it's in my favor. So we, can, we are looking for anomalies internally all the time. And we spend as much time, probably more, in looking for internal um, anomalies or, 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 or patterns as we do protecting our perimeter because we, we don't leave anything to chance. Because ultimately, no system can be 100% secure. You just make sure you get the right technologies, and that, that's not easy. But also, you have overlapping technologies. That's certainly been um, you know, my policy. Yeah, And you don't silo them. You ensure they talk to each other because you really need to know what's going on in your network. So you need to use all of these technologies and they're pretty, you know, they, yeah, okay, they do a task, but you really need something to bring those together um, uh, so you can fully understand the risks and actually you can mitigate it. And that's where we are today and what we're trying to do using technologies such as artificial intelligence and you know, there's been a lot written about that and, and um, in the press. And, and I personally think that it's got its place, but I don't think it's going to replace everything. Not the moment. It's not there yet. I think you still need the human element as well um, and for oversight specifically. But I think you, you've got a, a, it's almost you're going to be using a plethora of different technologies and you need something to cohesively bring these together to ensure you minimise the false positives. Of course. And, you know, I mean, when it comes to the technologies you are using, um, obviously, there's a lot of talk about, you know, merits of public versus private cloud. Um, so, you know, JM Finn, you've chosen the private cloud. Can you touch on why you made that decision? I think the first decision is, is and it goes way back and um, what works for an organisation. I mean, there's been lots of keywords in the last 10 years about cloud and um, the amount of times um, some of our um, uh, business leaders have come up to me and said to me, what is this cloud? <laughs> they just seem to be in some mystical figure that sits up there and there's some, some God that sits on top of these fluffy clouds and controls everything. Right. And all it really is, is, is we all know it's somebody else's computer uh, to use a, a very um, famous term. Um, I, I think we introduced Virtual, it's about virtualization. It's about what works for an organization. Um, when I joined the business in 1999, uh, one of the challenges at the time was to, to open our first um, satellite office in Bristol. And it was a challenge at the time, but I decided to, to, to use Citrix, as it was then, or FinClient technology. And this started me and, and us on our journey. I'd worked with it in my previous organization, and I could see the benefits of this, which was delivering workstations over a very uh, small bandwidth. And this introduced the business to virtualization. And uh, we, within a few years, we were pretty much using um, that type of technology across all of our client workstations. So they were all pretty much virtualized. And then the next step thereafter was to virtualize our servers. And once we started with that, we started building cloud infrastructure, private cloud infrastructure. 
Now, all, every stage of, uh, uh, of building our infrastructure and our technology and our solutions, we do look at alternatives. And we all know that technology comes in cycles, et cetera. And, um, and certainly at the moment, the, the cloud is the flavor um, of the month. But um, from our perspective, it has to work and it has to be cost effective. Um, you can certainly see that, that, that cloud works so well. Public cloud works very well for many organizations. But certainly from JM Finn's perspective, cloud works exceptionally well, but a private cloud is very cost effective. We have our own data centers uh, and we can put our own security around that. And that's very important. But more importantly than that, and I think one of the biggest um, questions for me when, when, uh, when I'm looking at a solution and, and looking at public cloud, I will only put my systems and data into the cloud if I can take them out as quick as I can put them in. And I think this is actually important because what I would not want to do is to put all my eggs in one basket and then be um, trapped into one solution on, on one type of um, uh, deployment. I think this, the, the cloud delivers so much. And we, we look at COVID and we look at the lockdown period and we went from um, six offices within five days to, to nearly 400. And that's because we we... This was by no accident, by the way. It's no accident we could do this. We moved from um, very much a, a six office centric deployment with about 50 or 60 regular users um, that, that connected remotely to, to almost 400 connected. And this was done because we we'd adopted the right technology. And that's um, a private cloud with virtualization at its heart. And for us, that was really key. But on top of this as well, it's securing it. Because I've talked to a lot of my peers at the time, and there was a huge pressure from businesses to throw technology at things and say, okay, we've got to work remotely. We can't work in our offices. Whatever it takes, we'll, we'll, we'll purchase a load of laptops and we'll just get people connected. But you can't just do that because security needs to be right at the heart of this. Sure. Uh, and and I, there's so many businesses that think about it after. And I again, I see this so many times. Whenever you look at any deployment, when any solution, any technology, you need to look at security right at the, at the beginning of this. You need to build it into your infrastructure. It needs to be in even every process that you think of. Is it secure, cost-effective? Um, is it robust? Is it resilient? And I think these all go together. And I think the key words at the moment are resilience, and I think certainly the regulators are, are very hot on this at the moment. Mm. Um, but from our perspective, you really need to choose the right technology that fits um, and that works for us. So that's where our approach has been from, from the cloud and, and private as opposed to um, public. And I see no reason to change that unless at some stage the, the public cloud becomes more uh, cost effective for us. But also, you know, it, it meets our own, um, our own needs and requirements. So that's where we are from a business. But I'm, I'm very comfortable with what we chose and I think the effectiveness and, and how effective we've been as an organization has reiterated this and how um, well we've delivered these solutions during the lockdown period. Perfect. I mean, you touched on there, you know, the offices expanding, being having to be able to set up to re, uh, to work remotely. And obviously, you know, you said in March when COVID hit, you went from having six offices to over 400. So with so many people working from home and their kitchen tables, how do you ensure that your client sensitive data is kept safe? Yeah, that is 
the key question. <laughs> it's a very good question. And we've, we've seen the pictures of people working on, uh, I think, ironing boards was, uh, <laughs> um, was brought up. I remember um, very early on in this, and um, it, it's, uh, it's an interesting question, that I was brought into the, to a board meeting and said, right, okay, we've got to do this. We, we had an idea what was going to happen, and the Prime Minister was going to announce this. And a um, bit of deja vu going on here at the moment, but um, we looked at what we had to do, and I, knew, I was very confident that we could deliver this and deliver it very quick. We'd had the foresight to buy a lot of laptops in um, before the, 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 the price tripled, uh, and we had a lot of the infrastructure there ready to go. But the key from, for me really was to look at what we needed, what was the key parts of the business and I think one thing that I can I, I would say that we've done and really worked for us is that we'd war room this. So we'd run a, um, a war room, and I've been doing these for a few years, and the war rooms had historically been around cyber attacks mm. and a fire maybe or some sort of disruption. And it was only in the last 12 months we decided to do a pandemic. Really? So we'd all, yeah, we'd, we'd done that before, <laughs> just before, um, it was last year, just uh, towards the end of last year, we'd run a... Um, it was a, another cyber attack um, uh, war room and um, a pandemic one. And Visionary. You should have told the rest of us. Yeah, well, you know. We <laughs> would have appreciated need. a heads up, John. <laughs> you know, you know it's, uh, I mean, it's, it is a bit of a foresight. Uh, but to be honest, we didn't truly believe that this was going to be. You never do. Sure. Uh, and that's the key. You never do believe this is necessarily going to be the case. But nevertheless, it was interesting to what we saw and how we see this develop. Now, I'm talking to you at the moment from our disaster recovery site, and I, which I should say now was our disaster recovery site, because we had a, um, a large area that we set aside um, in one of our remote sites, um, and uh, it can allocate up to 40, 50 people. And this was going to, to, to allow us to operate with the rest of the people working from home or our other offices. But this was a key area that was open, empty, and we'd um, populated this with all the machines that, that we, could, we knew we could get the key staff here and we could continue if we lost our main site or had no access to our London office. And it's empty at the moment. It's been empty for most of it. I think we, we used it for about a week, but we realised very early on that the technology we had deployed over the past, and I will say 20 years because it started that journey 20 years ago, um, as finally, with, with the, what the decisions we made in 1999 um, and the seeds we sowed then have come to fruition now because the technology has come of age. And actually, we used this for about four days. And really, what we used it for was to get people here, give them laptops and send them on their way. And the technology absolutely worked, 100%. Mm. Ironically, the one thing that we, we, we hadn't thought of at the time and, and we picked up is, is telecommunications, te, um, telephony, and the fact that we had um, soft, uh, a soft phone on an app. So it was an app on your, on your mobile phone, which works, but people's reliance on actual physical telephones and telephony um, was, it was apparent very early on. So without ripping all the phones out of the business, what we decided to do was to, 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 to secure a series of um, telephony phones. These are our IP phones and send them out with laptops. Um, and that was one of the best decisions we made because you're then giving the individuals um, a, a physical device that they can use. Mm. And these phones as well have, um, have uh, WebEx enabled. So the big 
big win for us this year has been telecommunications and uh, video conferencing, WebEx. And one thing I wish I'd have done last year was buy some shares in Zoom. That's, that's for sure. Right. <laughs> we have gone up from using a, a video conference system occasionally, and it's just between offices, and to I can give you some figures actually. Uh, with I think it's in the tens of thousands of WebExes we've had mm. since we went into lockdown. It's been mm. a huge success, and um, you know our our client base um, of about eighteen and a half thousand clients. I, I would say are, um, are probably not the most technically um, focused individuals. They are of a certain age, and I'd say the the, the over fifties, over um, over sixties, um, and for them to start using technology because a lot of these people were were, were in lockdown as we've all been, and the only way they were going to communicate with their family was through Zoom. Mm. Yeah. So all of a sudden they can use the technology. Now this is a fantastic opportunity for us but it also means they're now using technology which means they could be even more of a target so we have to think about this interesting so we're seeing this already and this is what we're seeing um where people are using technology to communicate with their their family and loved ones they're also susceptible now to cyber attack like never before yeah so this is where uh, the technology works and this is where we have to think outside of the box to ensure that we're protecting not just our staff, not just our company, our reputation, but our clients, our greatest asset. And this is really important for us. And this is what we have been doing pretty much from, from day one. And we do this by, by many, many ways. And, and um, I go back to one of the, the, the strongest tools we have is awareness training. And cyber. And I've been doing cybersecurity awareness training for 18 years at JMFIN. I started it off in the early, early 2000s. And it's been very, very popular. Yes, I frighten the life out of them when I actually uh, present, but at the end of it, it's positive because I show how they have the control. I think that the problem is a lot of people fear technology because they don't understand it. And actually, 99% of cyber attacks, probably higher, occur and are successful because we do not do the basics. Yeah, We did the basics and just took a few seconds to, 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 to understand what we're trying to do and to and take some very, very basic precautions, most cyber attacks would fail. So that is my primary goal um, for the organisation, awareness um, and to ensure that, that everybody has the tools, which is basically their awareness and their, their, their own knowledge. But you say that, John, that it's really down to us as the individuals not being super vigilant not giving away our, our, our data and information, but it's so easy these days to give away our, our data to Facebook and Amazon and Google. They're collecting reams and reams of this data. So social engineering really relies on people being careless with their data as more and more of us are. Are we really fighting a losing battle? No, and I, and I would never believe that because whilst I'm not the greatest fan of certain social media apps, don't use them, or I do use them, but not in the sense um, that I use them for friends and family, etc. I use them as a tool, but I do think they bring a lot of benefits if they're used wisely. And I think they've been very, they've been vital during lockdown for many reasons. Now, I think again, people can get bomb- bombarded with 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 cautions, etc. And, and in the end of the day, they need to, you, you know, they need to ensure they just do a few basic things on this. But the way you do this 
and the way you educate people on this is, and I'll give a prime example. I'll use Facebook as a prime example. And this is not necessarily at Jonathan. This is something I do a lot of work uh, with groups and I do a lot of stuff for charities, etc. But I demonstrated how easy it is to create a Facebook account. Um, and we did this some years ago. I created a Facebook account. I, 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 the name was um, Francesca Dominique. Uh, Francesca's my niece and Dominique was uh, just a destination. And I made a complete profile. Um, I used a very attractive young lady um, as a picture. And um, I, it was a model and I got permission. It was all, you know, legitimate. And I just put this t- together, a, a, a very simple uh, Facebook account. And um, literally just see what happened. I just went out there and randomly people that I knew just tried to get a few people to make it a little bit legit, uh, um, legitimate. And I thought it would take me a few weeks to get a few. I wanted about 50 or 60 uh, connections. And I thought, well, this is going to take me a few days or, or maybe a couple of weeks. I think I stopped at 320 and it took me about um, half an hour. To Amazing. Get people, mostly men, I will, I will add on this. Um, it was very, very easy to do that. Now, we were doing some security testing and, and it wasn't, we're not trying to manipulate anybody. It was a legitimate test. And we were just interested to see how much people would share and how much data they would share with us. And it was startling. This person, people were connecting, they were asking questions. They were sharing their life with us and they didn't know who it was. Mm. It was a fake account. Now, this was very obvious what this was and it was done for training purposes so we could demonstrate. And no one's name was disclosed. But it just showed the information. And and from the information we, we obtained, we could work out pretty much what football teams people supported. We would work out where they're from, what school, what their education is, where they've lived, their best friends, their friends, their colleagues, what they liked, what they didn't like. Based on that, you could build a huge profile of this individual and you could really guess the sort of passwords they're using and you could build up such a, a dossier on that individual, you could then craft a phishing email that could be so realistic based on the information that that person uh, was freely disclosing online. Interesting. Um, we also regularly look at LinkedIn, and I, I, we all use LinkedIn. I know you guys use LinkedIn. Um, Can't get me off it. <laughs> but the information that's on there is interesting, because not only does it give you your education and, and other bits and pieces, um, what I love about LinkedIn, by the way, is is I, I know a lot of people that are ex-employees, and I look at their job title and what they did. And uh, yeah, we'll just say that it could, it's uh, it's certainly not from what I remember, but we'll <laughs> we'll, we'll go we'll, we'll breeze over that. But the point of LinkedIn is you can see who's connected to you, who your communication, who you like, and your friends, etc. But imagine an ex-employee that works for an organisation in a technical role. Let's imagine that it's in your IT department, and the IT department have people move around all the time, networking, uh, security engineers, etc. When they move around organizations, they show a lot of information about what they've worked and what they've worked on. It's almost like their CV, but it's open to anybody. And the amount of times I've, 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 and I've done this as experiments, again, not with our business, but with other organizations where I've looked at and analyzed and searched for people that had worked for many of our competitors. And I've looked at these people and I know they're legitimate and they've given whole dossier and what systems they've worked on whilst they're at that organization. Amazing. And now, if you're a, uh, an attacker, one of the first things you want to do is to, to do a reconnaissance phase. And that's to spend, sometimes it could be weeks, analysing a business, finding what weak spots it has, maybe finding what sort of infrastructure it has so you can cr- um, craft an attack. But that could take weeks, months. 
it now takes seconds because you can click on LinkedIn and have a look at exactly what their security engineers have worked on. Mm-hmm. You can see what firewalls they're on. You can see what um, intrusion protection systems, what security infrastructure they have. You can even see the revisions in many of the cases that we we, we viewed. Now that's actually done. That's made my job so much easier if I was an attacker to to, to craft an attack specifically tailored to that individual. Mm-hmm. This is where um, the information that individuals are are posting online is really important. Yeah. You need to keep on top of that. You need to be aware of your own staff because I, I would imagine even people that are currently working in organizations are doing the same thing. Definitely. Um, so we're very, uh, this is where I use LinkedIn is to ensure that I keep a, a, a you know a, a, an eye on, on what information is out there. But yeah, it, it, it spreads completely across all of the platforms and how social media is manipulating the data. Um, I just want to just while we're on this subject, it's it's pretty much if you don't pay for a service, then you're the commodity. And I think people need to remember that when they sign up for these um, these social media platforms. Very good point. Definitely. So, and, uh, this is all part of the training that I provide and the awareness. And and it's pointless just giving a bit of awareness training. You need to demonstrate in a real-life scenario why this is a bad idea. Absolutely. Well, we are running against the clock and slightly running out of time, but sure. I couldn't let you go uh, without very quickly asking you who Kevin Mitnick is ah. and what you've learned about cybersecurity from him. Well, Kevin is, uh, we're going back to the 70s again, um, uh, and I've met Kevin a few times. I've worked with him um, uh, as well. But I met Kevin initially uh, in Vegas, in Las Vegas, at uh, something called DEFCON uh, and Black Hat. They're, they're, they're the biggest uh, cyber security hacking conferences in the world. I go most years, unfortunately not this year because of COVID, it was, it was online. But I've been going to, to Vegas for, for a, a decade now, um, uh, and we and Kevin's reputation goes back to the, to the eighties. He was he's, he's marketed as the world's greatest or most famous hacker. What Kevin was was a, a social engineer and a very very good one. He, he could manipulate people into doing things. Again, I've said this so many times with social engineering. You can put the best locks on the door. You can put the most expensive alarm. But if, if you can talk someone into opening the door and letting someone in, it's pointless. There you go. Kevin has a fantastic ability to uh, manipulate. And this is how he managed to break into some of the world's um, largest computer systems. And he was on the, the FBI's most wanted um, because of that. And he was on the run for I think five years. He was on the, wow. the most wanted list. Uh, and I mean, if you, if you get a chance to read Ghost in the Wires, it's a fantastic book. And uh, it, it's very entertaining. But Kevin had this ability to do that. And, and actually, they, they caught him in the end um, and they sentenced him, I think, five years. Four years of that was in solitude confinement. They don't mess wow. around uh, in the States. Sure. But um, the, the, the president at the time and, and the powers that be believed he could pick up the phone, whistle down the phone and start World War Three. So this is um, this, read the book. It's very interesting. And, and um, I've met Kevin many occasions and I've worked with him at at some conferences and and hosted him on stage. Uh, And I think he certainly was one of the reasons that I got into cybersecurity was because of Kevin Mitnick. Mm. Uh, And I think anybody that's starting out on this should look at what he achieved. He's turned this around now. He's now a very successful uh, cybersecurity consultant 
um, and uh, he's he's fantastic uh, seminars, and I'm I feel privileged that I've been on stage with him uh, presenting. So yeah, that's that's Kevin Mitnick. But again, uh, he's, he's many uh, art of illusion, um, art of uh, intrusion, the art of books. Have a look at them; they're they're yeah. worth re- worthwhile reading if if you're if you're interested. I've just one click purchased the book on Amazon, giving more of my data to Amazon. Wow. So, uh, I, yeah, yeah, I should allowing hackers. Kevin, I'm going to say I'm going to be on a cut of this book because. <laughs> <laughs> Quickly running out of time. Sure. Let's get into our speed round questions that we ask everyone that comes onto the show. We'll fire some short, sharp questions at you, sure. John. If you can fire some short, sharp answers back, that would be that would be great. Absolutely. First one. What does the evolution of your role as CISO look like? Oof. I think um, uh, potentially less technical, more strategic. Um, I think it's very much more uh, you 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 are integral to a business. CISO is not an option. It's not something that just sits there and they'll just make sure we our antivirus software is installed and it works. Um, it's got to be at the heart of a business. If you've got any businesses that have a business goals and a strategy, it needs to be aligned to the security, the cybersecurity and the IT strategy of a business. And I think certainly from a CISO's perspective and, and the regulators in the financial sector have started to realise this with senior management regime in my sector where there is there is direct responsibility now um, for cybersecurity. So a CISO should be right at the top. Um, it should be on the board um, or very close to and should be reporting in to to the CEO or the board. It's so important. It's that important. Mm. And I think that's where I see the role, how it evolves in the future. On something a bit lighter, you know, your role is incredibly complex. Um, So how, in one line, how would your friends describe what you do for your job? Too many hours. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and um, some, I think most of them are frightened, so they don't want to talk to me about certain things because there's many occasions I'm sitting there and I say, you know, and, and I've come up with information and I said, you really ought to lock this or do this. I'm not going to disclose too much about it, but uh, certainly I, um, one one weekend when we were having a barbecue, I, they all allowed me to check the security of their of their wireless networks in, in our in our area where I live. I think that's I think they wish they hadn't because I think. <laughs> I think I broke into all of them bar one, um, and and that uh, yeah, but uh, but that 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 was within days I, I got into that. But that was quite useful because I think it, it, again it's the education. I'm the good guy, uh, you know. I, I'm 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 there to really educate at the end of the day, and uh, but I, I think that that's they they would see me certainly as 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 technical. Mm. But actually, the, the the higher you get up and, and then the more senior you become, you you have people that report into you. You just need to understand the technology. Um, but I do miss that element, but it's, um, it is the path with most leaders that they, they need to choose their direction. Yeah, of course. And our final question, John, what are the one or two things that are top of mind today that you're focusing on for the next six to 12 months within JM Finn? Well, um, the Prime Minister announced something yesterday for the next six months. So I think, <laughs> um, yeah, I think we need to look at um, where we perceive businesses at the moment do we need to have these uh, big data centers in, in cities and, and how do we deploy our technology how can we be smarter i still very much believe by the way that organizations should meet we are human 
we we should meet each other and i and i and i you know technology is fantastic but i still like to meet my team um i think we need to make technology work for us and not let it necessarily dictate but we use it to its best ability i think as well that um I think awareness is important. It really is. And I think that, that we need to cut away all the myths and what's out there at the moment. And I think we should, you know, my, my driver in, 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 is not let the bad guys get away with this. Do not let um, what is a phenomenal time to be alive. If you imagine this would have happened 30 years ago, we couldn't be working at home. The economy would have been in serious, serious trouble. Sure. Thousands, millions would have probably died around the world mm. more than they have. Mm. Because technology has enabled people to work from home and, and economies to continue. And we should not get away from that, how, what a positive impact technology has had. We should not let criminals get away with what they do. We need to ensure that um, what, what I would class as the golden age for technology, um, because what it delivers and what the internet delivers is, is amazing. And certainly from that perspective, we do not want to let the bad guys get away with this and they don't need to and i i, I talk really from the security fraternity and and, and the cyber security groups and the professionals and uh, students because i am a student um as well as i'm doing my phd um i think i would like to really ensure that we don't lose sight of what technology has delivered we just got to make sure it's secure i'd like to finish on, on one statement i think that um uh, and we're going back to, to a Winston Churchill quote that I've used a few times. It's always good to look ahead at the future, but harder to, to look beyond what you can see. Mm. So I think that is certainly where we are at the moment in an ever-changing world. Um, and I do not believe my job's going to get easier anytime soon. No. Well, I'm certainly, after this call, going to go and change all my passwords and change my election history. <laughs> John, thank you so much for your time. No, no problem at all. Thank you. If you enjoyed this conversation, then subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever podcasts are found. Thank you very much for your time. You have been listening to CEO.digital. Thank you.